are uh, we are officially going to be uh, up and running around about Tuesday when the Academy Award nominations come out. But we're recording this beforehand, so we have no yeah. idea. We yeah. don't know yet. That's always an interesting day for me. It starts at about 3 a.m. Because, <laughs> you know, they have to get you the, yeah. the East Coast times. So they are you us... going down? Oh, yeah. I was oh, going I'm there, sorry. So. I, stopped, hey, I stopped doing that years ago. They, they put a nice grub bag on for the, for yeah. the folks. You know, they set it all up. It's plenty of yeah. food. I got to go over. Uh, so I'm going to do a little thing for the BBC. Uh, but all you really do is just, you know, yeah. record it, and then you do a stand-up, and then, frankly, you could be anywhere. Uh, but they want me to be there. So, that, uh, so the question, well, we know, no Kevin Hart, so it's going to be uh, basically just a no, no pre- just presenters, no mm. hosts, which will be interesting. Mm. Um, but uh, so what's, what's, uh, what are our predictions here for the big, uh, what, what's going to load up on nominations? Uh, stars, uh, stars Born. I, think, I say Stars Born is, is due for at least nine nominations. You know, uh, uh, because it's just so, uh, everybody's just liked. Yep. The movie is liked, the but everybody loved. associated with the movie is like Bradley is liked, yeah. Lady Gaga. Gaga is loved, everybody's loving Sam Elliott, everybody's, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it's a big old love fest over there. I think the favorite will get a bunch. Uh, writing and and uh, actress and actress supporting because, you know, supporting actress probably two of them. It's almost cheating in that yeah way. Uh, you know. Make it may even may even get director. Uh, I think it'll definitely get picture. I think Roma will get a bunch. Uh, Black Klansman will get a bunch. Mm. Um, uh, you know, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody. Where's that going to fall? Only That's- only Rami is possible. And and you know, at the end of the day, uh, controversy and I know. I issues know. and all that kind of stuff. So Marvel films, Avengers, Black, uh, Black Panther. Panther. Black uh, Panther, I that think, screenplay, will... play. That screenplay is amazing. Will, that, get, will it get any uh, uh, acting nominations? Will Michael B. Jordan get Michael nominated? B. Jordan unequivocally deserves a nomination. Will he get to me, it? he's the... I, to me, Michael B. Jordan is, is, is hands down the performance in that category that, yeah. that, that, that absolutely captivated me. I still talk about it. You know, I'm just not sure that people will take it seriously because of the yeah. kind of movie that that performance is. See, in. that's the thing. The Marvel films. You know, I I uh, I keep I'm wondering. Okay, are there now too many Marvel movies every year? Do they cancel each other out when it comes to art direction and uh, special effects and all that? Like, Costume, what's gonna, that what, score, that amazing score. What's going to win special effects? You know, uh, there is, you go. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. You know. So I think. Uh, I think. I think. Oddly, Spider Verse. Uh, is that's an, probably an, an odds-on favorite for animated. Yeah. Uh, that and frankly is the only thing that can take uh, Incredibles. Incredibles. Too. Yeah. It'll be those two. It'll be a runoff between those two. And I think it'll probably be Spider Verse. I think so too because just, people are just yeah, first it's of all, different. The it's different and it's 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 and it's actually fresh. Incredibles two was so much fun, crazy great. fun, Jack Jack, yeah. all of that. But you know, I have seen this movie already. <laughs> that's right. Uh, uh, so, uh, Spider-Verse, no, haven't seen this movie before. Uh, yeah, I mean, and there's going to be a few surprises in there. Uh, you know, there always are. There's always something that, you know, should be nominated that isn't, and then vice versa. But uh, it'll be interesting. It'll I'm, be interesting. I'm hoping Bill Street gets some love. It'll get uh, it'll get score for sure. Regina King, Regina has been, King, everybody's I, been loving Regina. When King. we gave her an award, I think that gave her a boost. I think yeah. that put her on people's radar. And then and and and, and that big Golden Globes yeah. speech didn't hurt yeah. her at all. Yeah. You know. Um, um, so but I don't. But if we had not given her our award, I don't think happened, I don't yeah. think she would have won a Golden Globe. It's a little domino kind of thing. It is. Um, yeah. So I think that'll get a few. I still think it's a little too Euro artsy mm. for most people in the Academy. And most I, people haven't seen it. And most people haven't seen it. And mm. I think that's what's also going to hurt things a lot. I mean, foreign language is going to go to Roma just because nobody's seen anything else other than uh, other than uh, uh, Cold War. Yeah, which is unfair because Shoplifters is a very good movie. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, you, we, I could, we can name a few. Shoplifters has made $2 million, and that's one of the top-grossing foreign language films now. Now, that's weird to me. You remember when foreign language films, thanks to Miramax, used to make seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven million million? Oh, yeah. That was 25 years ago. Yeah. And now, $2 million gets you. Should've that's like, money. that's sad. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy for the film, but it ought to, ought to have made more money than You would that. think. Yeah. With films, well, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a thing. It is. Uh, so a little bit of uh, uh, very upsetting news for me this week. Uh, Mark Ehrman passed away, and that's oh, yeah. not, that name's not going to mean uh, probably a terrible lot to uh, a lot of our listeners. But uh, Mark Ehrman was uh, head of Paladin Films in New York. Uh, a lot of independent films last few years have been released through Paladin. Before that, he was head of Think Film, which some people might remember. Uh, and uh, Think Film was a really promising indie uh, for a few years back there. And before that, he ran Lionsgate. Uh, I first met Mark Ehrman in 1992 at the Cannes Film Festival when he was a publicist for Dennis Davidson and Associates, and uh, I was connected with him to sort of be my entree into the festival and to show me the ropes, and uh, he was amazingly gracious, a really unbelievable mind. Uh, he could, could meet you one second, remember your name and your face, and see you and not see you for a year and a half, and then you show up again, and he would just catalog you right back into the forefront of his brain and, and know who you were he could he was an amazing man he had uh, extraordinary taste when he moved from being a publicist into distribution it was just a natural thing well yeah he was um one foot in the old school Re- totally and one filmmakers the loved him because yeah. he loved their movies you know he was someone that they could get along with he was passionate about the movies but he knew the business really well and he knew how to market things and you know the, some of the movies, some of the stuff he he did, there would be there would be no uh, you know uh, gods and monsters. Yeah, he picked up, he yeah. pulled that out. I mean that that and that movie and every career associated with it wouldn't be here if not for him. Uh, monsters Ball, yeah, you know, and Halle Berry's Oscar, yeah, that was all him. Yeah, uh, you know, everyone associated with that movie and their careers. I and mean, it's kind of funny because those movies, uh, to the, to some extent, have gone away. And the ones that still exist don't get the sort of handling and thus recognition and, and thus uh, award recognition and thus earn the kind of money yeah. that they did 25, 15 years ago. Even 10 years ago. Even t- it's uh, So losing. So Mark Ehrman uh, passed on the actual night of the LAFCA Awards, uh, which was the 12th of January, and it is a huge loss. It was a surprise. Um, I spoke to him in November. And, you know, he was sharp as a tack, and we had a great chat for a long time. And uh, apparently this all happened just kind of late December, early January, and he, he came down ill, and, and it, was a, it was a whirlwind illness, and he has left us. So uh, it is a very, very sad day. It is a huge loss for the, uh, for the film community generally, but especially for independent and foreign films and all the filmmakers and all the careers that, uh, that owe their success to Mark Ehrman. Uh, he was uh, he was one of a kind and utterly irreplaceable. So, um, want to want to at least give our big shout out to to Mark Ehrman and yeah. on this show today. He uh, he really he he left a mark and uh, in the best way possible. So we're gonna miss him. We're really gonna miss yeah, him. Yeah, man. Uh, so let's get into let's get into the stuff, man. Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll blow through some of the music and concert stuff here uh, real quickly. We got some uh, poppy, rocky stuff right off the top. Uh, Joan Jett, Bad Reputation from Magnolia. Yeah. Look, I, you know, I had a crush on Joan Jett for years and years and years, uh, and that's just what you did when you were my age in yeah. the 80s. Hey, me too. Uh, so this is all about Joan Jett and the Runaways and the Blackhearts and her entire career. It's a it's a wonderful, wonderful doc overview. 
it gets into uh, all the nasty stuff and all the fun stuff and all the good stuff. It really is warts and all. And uh, I, I still love Joan Jett. She was just the best. And she still, still rocks. She still, still rocks. Still and does. that producer guy uh, who worked with her and sort of revived her career, yeah. you know, after all, like, yeah. he's a very interesting guy. Um, all those sort of like um, uh, candy pop songs of the 60s, yep. uh, fake pop songs, you know, sugar, yeah. you know, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Bunny, all that that yeah. was him. He produced <laughs> all of that stuff. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy how much music winds up finding its way only to a handful of producers yeah. and songwriters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then we've also got New Wave, Dare to Be Different, which is uh, a, a really, really interesting look at the radio station WLIR, which was called, once upon a time, uh, the, uh, the most influential radio station in America. Uh, this is from MVD, and the title song here is from Joan Jett and the Blackhearts. Mm. And uh, this uh, this is a really, really interesting story. Uh, you know, in 1982... Um, there was the, the, a bunch of kind of renegades, you know, radio renegades, kind of pirate radio renegades, uh, decided to sort of buck all of the usual radio rules and uh, create a create a station that would be able to kind of operate like an underground station and mm-hmm. bring all the music to America that nobody else was playing. And uh, it's uh, it's really interesting, you know, New York, this, and this is New York, of course, WLIR is a New York station. You know, we don't hear these stories here. We had obviously KROQ here in LA, yeah, and there's yeah, yeah there, K-Rock. You know, we, we had our and then there was pirate radio for a while that pretended to be a pirate radio station coming out of Catalina, yeah. which whatever. Yeah. So, but but you know, this is uh, this is the one that kind of started them all, and it's a really really interesting story and gets into everything, all kinds of people in this. I mean, every major music figure from the era, Joan Jett, uh, Debbie Harry, they're all in here, and uh, Billy Idol, man, has not aged well. Yeah. Um. Almost nobody has. I know. CMA Awards Live, Greatest Moments, 1968 to 2015. If you're a big fan, this is three DVDs. Uh, just a lot of live performances of country music legends for, you know, over the course of uh, like a, a, more than a half a century. Uh, and it's, it's, it's great. I mean, if you love all these people, if you're not a country music fan, you know, then you're if, like, if I, if I say to you, Charlie Pride and George Strait. Hey, that's yeah. country music. <laughs> that's right. A few weeks ago, I watched the CMA's yeah. Country Music Awards. Yeah. And I'm watching the Country Music Awards, and the thing that struck me about it is yeah. there wasn't any country music. Yeah, I know. At all. I know. I'm, I'm like, this is pop music, and it, some of it is slightly hip-hop flavor. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's, that's country music that's right there country. in your hand. You know, yeah. Conway Twitty. Conway Twitty, boy. Tammy uh, Wynette. I know country go. music. I, by, the, by the way, you know, just it, it's funny because I remember that day. Anyway, this is this is a lot of fun. CMA Awards Alive, if you're a country fan. Three DVDs loaded with performances. Yeah. You'll, you'll, never get, you'll never get tired of it. Back when country he, was country. Talking about Conway Twitty. So here's the thing. I remember, I can't even remember what it was. But it was during that, it was sometime in the, in the early to mid-90s when we had all those kind of, you know, lifestyles of rich and famous type shows. Oh, so we're yeah, just profiling yeah. everybody. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it wasn't, uh, that was roughly around that time where they changed the way that they tabulated uh, top 10 and top 40 sales and, and all this stuff. It wasn't radio play. It was actual sales, mm-hmm. album sales, mm-hmm. where now you when you bought an album, the barcode went into the... Into the, uh, the into the wire and it went through the line and suddenly somewhere there's a computer that tabulates it and mm. you know we know exactly and it's not all kind of guesswork and overnight country songs and country albums and country music went just skyrocketed through on the, the charts they'd always been underreported their sales yeah and suddenly everybody was aware of the fact that wow well, a lot of people like country music never realized that before and I remember watching this show on TV talking about Conway Twitty 
and how many albums he'd sold and how rich he was. Now, to me, uh, you know, my wife at the time was was big into country music. Me, not so much. You know, whatever. I figured a few people in Nashville had family in Kentucky and Tennessee, and I knew they listened to it. I didn't know anybody else listened to it. I figured people make a pretty good living, have a nice house somewhere. Dude, Conway Twitty, they showed his house. He lived, <laughs> I am I am not kidding. He lived on like a 100-acre estate in Nashville in something like a 25,000-square-foot mansion with servants and butlers and the whole thing and horses. It was like it was like Downton Abbey where he lived. It's crazy, it's crazy. It was nuts. And there, and there he is, Conway Twitty, with that, that deep voice and that little kind of little mouth crinkles a little bit when he talks. But he's very humble. I, God's been good to me. <laughs> God's been good to me. As he stands there wearing a suit encrusted with diamonds and and rhinestones. Yeah. And I I just, I could not believe it. I I was like, okay, that, I I don't even know about the sales. Forget Mm. about the sales for a second. That lifestyle tells Mm. me that man makes Elvis money. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That was country music, man. Unreal. That was actual country music. Dolly Parton, too. There's a reason why she bought a place that she could call Dolly Land. She, that's basically crazy. That's she's rich. Oh my gosh! So, uh, yes. uh, get, getting quickly into this, we also got another one here from uh, uh, MVD Music Video Distributors and Film Rise Mantovani, the King of Strings. Now, if Mantovani doesn't mean anything to you, then you've got to be younger than we are. Uh, Anuzio Mantovani was the the king of easy listening. He was the orchestra conductor who conducted all of that. You know. Mm. You know, and, uh, like Percy Faith was the other one, but yeah. Montavani did. It's just the stuff they played in elevators all through the fifties and sixties and seventies, uh, in in lounges and waiting rooms, and it just puts you to sleep. And it is so lovely to listen to. Jackie Gleason did a lot too. Yeah, yeah. But Montavani was the king. He really, really nailed it. This is a great, a great look at all of his, uh, all his, his recordings, his TV show. They got performances in on here from the nineteen fifty nine TV show, all on Blu ray. It is fantastic. It is wonderful. I think this is a great Blu ray for people from the area. You're going to love it. Um, also got uh, the, the Caligula. This is now we're getting into the Naxo stuff, the mm. uh, the classical stuff. So uh, Caligula is a an opera that was, uh, believe it or not, from the 17th century. Uh, and uh, this was composed and, and written by Giovanni Maria Pagliardi. Again, I'm not, I like a lot of opera, not huge into it. So some of the names don't mean anything to me. Pagliardi probably means more to somebody else. This is a wild opera. Uh, directed by Mimo Cuticcio, or Cuticcio, and uh, Alexandra Rubner. Uh, it's pretty wild. Obviously, I don't need to tell you what it's about, but um, the music's good, and it is quite a wild trip. Uh, then we have got a couple here from Bel Air. Uh, Bel Air is one of the labels that they have under uh, under Naxos, and they've got a production of Benjamin Britten's opera Billy Budd, which is classic and wonderful. And uh, this is the uh, orchestra and chorus of the Madrid, the Teatro Real de Madrid, conducted by Edward Bolton. Uh, very, very good. I've seen better of Billy Budd. Billy Budd is, you know, it's it's really, really good. It, uh, but this is this is not bad, and uh, it's got a kind of uh, you know, it's based on the the Herman Melville novel. And uh, the music is wonderful. Uh, the uh, the staging of this is very, very impressive. Again, not the best I've seen, but still very, very solid. Then we also have uh, from Bel Air, Tchaikovsky's The Nutcracker, directed ah. by... A, this is the uh, orchestra, chorus, and ballet of the National Parisian Opera. And uh, beautifully, beautifully staged. Really impeccable. They do just great stuff. I mean, the everything about this is really... The, the, the art direction, 
some of the best some of the best I've seen in a very very long time. Uh, this also comes with Iolanta, which is another uh, one act opera by uh, Tchaikovsky, which is which is fine. Um, never seen it before. Not you know blown away, but it's also on here. So, uh, but the Nutcracker is a is a really really lovely one. Look, Ernie Hudson on TV behind you. Ernie plugging Car Shield. Yeah, yeah, man. Everybody, everybody's plugging something now, baby. My goodness, you know I, that's when I realized I was old when yeah. I turned the TV on, and there was a six million dollar man plugging hearing aids. <laughs> yeah, and like... there and there was Jonathan Hart plugging reverse mortgages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And right. then, then Magn- Oscar... Magnum PI is doing yeah. the same thing. And yeah. then uh, you know, and, and uh, Oscar Goldman was yeah. plugging you know gold, yeah. invest in gold. And I thought, all right, really? So all my icons, all my TV icons, are now so old. They, they it's like next yeah. thing you know, I'm gonna be. You know, like James West is going to be selling me a colostomy oh, no, bag. Yeah, 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 the Sam Elliott and uh, catheters, oh, some, terrible. Like, some crap like that. Didn't Horrible. happen yet, though. Horrible. Uh, Belvedere is another new uh, and class art. Uh, this is also from Naxos. Uh, Maris Jansen's and uh, uh, Richard Stra- Richard Strauss, Don Quixote, Antonin Dvorak, Symphony Number no. Eight. Um, this is the Symphony Orchestra de Bayerisch and Rundfunks, which is a, uh, you know, in, in uh, Munich, uh, one of the orchestras there. Uh, Maris Jansen's terrific conductor, and uh, Yo-Yo Ma, the, the centerpiece here. Uh, all you got to say is just Yo-Yo Ma doing some music. Forget about who wrote it. It's great. Uh, that's, these are all Blu-rays, by the way. And then Maris Jansen's also uh, conducting Beethoven's Mass in C Major, Along with some other uh, really really great pieces, uh, you know Stravinsky Symphony in Three Movements, uh, P- Trumpet Concerto from Hummel, but it's really about Beethoven's Mass in C Major, which is a wonderful piece of music that is not performed often enough. It's a fabulous Mass, and um, really deserves to be to be seen and heard. It's really 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 good. Um, got three from Naxos proper, Benjamin Britten again, ah. Death in Venice, not as good as Billy Budd. Uh, but also a very, very good uh, staging of this from the Teatro Real Chorus and Orchestra. Uh, and then um, Handel's Agrippina in a really kind of an interesting modern version of this. This is the, the, uh, a, a German staging at the Theater an der Wien. Um, it's a very uh, interesting kind of uh, odd, updated, uh, avant-garde staging of it. Uh, the music's great. I'm just not quite sure how I feel about it uh, in this interpretation. But if that's your thing, the really hyper-modernized stuff, that's great. Uh, Jules Massenet's Cendrillon, which is, of course means Cinderella. Uh, this is wonderful. This is from the um, Philharmonisches Orchestra Freiburg. Uh, and uh, they do a really, really good job. I don't think I've ever covered anything that they did before. But, uh, you know, Massenet is a wonderful composer. Cendrillon is a uh, is is a, a wonderful kind of uh, light opera, I guess is the, is probably what this would qualify at uh, qualify as. It's uh, you know four acts and uh, beautifully beautifully put together by the Free Freiburg Theater. Mm. And uh, then kind of wrapping this out, we've got some from Unitel. These are all still Naxos labels. Uh, Handel's Xerxes Cersa uh, in a, uh, a really interesting staging. This is from the Frankfurt Opera and Museum Orchestra. Uh, we've got uh, Giovanni d'Arco uh, by Verdi, which is beautiful. Uh, uh, this is staged by the uh, Parma Opera uh, or group. And then we got a couple with Leonard Bernstein, the great Leonard Bernstein, uh, the doing, Ber- doing uh, Berlioz Symphony Fantastique. 
at the uh, National uh, French Orchestra, and then Leonard Bernstein doing um, a whole bunch of teaching and lecturing and all kinds of other fun stuff with the uh, Schleswig-Holstein Music Festival in Germany. These are both from uh, C Major and Unitel. And uh, there's going to be an interesting announcement about uh, Leonard Bernstein in the movies coming up that I don't, I, I probably shouldn't know, and I'm probably not at liberty to yeah, disclose, really? but... Because we know that. How do we know it if we shouldn't know We it? know it because somebody told me. Oh, somebody right. told you. Who somebody told me. supposed to tell you? Uh, well, you, I mean, you told me. Who I don't think was supposed to tell me. Oh, but, okay. Yeah. But, no, but let's, it, let's, let's not call him out on it. That's okay. So, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm just going to... Just gonna leave that right there. I'm just gonna drop that little tidbit. Just keep your keep your eyes and ears open for a uh, something to do with Leonard Bernstein in the movies coming soon. Uh, the uh, and then Opus Arte, the fantastic Opus Arte, uh, has three here from the Royal Opera House uh, in England and the uh, the Royal Ballet. Uh, all of them are excellent. Uh, the first one is Alice's Adventures in Wonderland which I have never seen before, and I did not know that there was an actual Alice in Wonderland ballet. Uh, it's lovely. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, had absolutely no idea. The, uh, the, the, the sets, the costume, everything in this is uh, just absolutely wonderful. So uh, I guess this is a fairly new thing. There's also Puccini's La Boheme, which, of course, is never bad. You can never do wrong by that. That's always just uh, top-notch. Staged by Richard Jones, which is, who does just an amazing job of it. Um, you know, it's just yeah, every version of La Boheme is great and the music is great and this is just superb and then a Royal Ballet and Royal Opera House tribute to the uh, choreographer Frederick Ashton um, we under the conduction of Emmanuel, Emmanuel Plasson which uh, you know there's a lot of stuff staged here Mendelssohn's The Dream Franck's Symphonic Variations Liszt's Marguerite and Armand um, again I'm not hugely familiar with Frederick Ashton but this is lovely a lot of great uh, a lot of great music and dancing it's really good and then the last two here uh, from Opus Arte. One is a Royal Shakespeare Company performance and production of Shakespeare's Titus Andronicus, which is not a particularly good Shakespearean play. The movie, the well, Julie Taymor movie. With Harry uh, Lennox. Harry yes. Lennox. Yeah. And uh, yeah, yeah, that was. Anthony Hopkins doing. Yeah, that that was hyper stylized and a little disturbing. Um, uh, this is it not had very so, little to do with that play, too. Yeah, this has a lot to do with the play, but and it's you know it's it's it, it people. Here's the thing: Titus Andronicus is not very good. It was it's, Shakespeare's it's very early. I think it was his first first play. Yeah, I think first, it was his yeah. first play. So it's it's Shakespeare just kind of letting it all hang out and trying to get somebody's attention, and it's gory and it's you know provocative you know, and it's lame. off of the arms of the end. Yeah, it's kind of lame. But so so but it's Shakespeare, so people figure, well, I'll just because it stinks, I'll take license with it and get weird and freaky. So everybody like I'll be always kind of hangs their own style on this to an excessive degree. This is no different, but, um, you know, it's it was there. It's, they, they did it live from Stratford-on-Avon, and uh, and there's a director's commentary on it. And if you, if you like that kind of thing, if you don't mind, then there you go. And then Jonathan Watkins' ballet, based on George Orwell's 1984, uh, staged by the Northern Ballet, uh, is, is quite interesting. I'm not sure that 1984 needs a ballet. Mm. I don't know that that's the, the best combination of material i'm i i'm a little bewildered at how somebody would read orwell and go yeah i'll bet that would be great to set to dance <laughs> uh people could dance to that yeah it's kind of weird uh but it, you know it's it, look it is what it is the uh, so the the uh, you know give it a look if you're interested i it's uh it's it's different i'll say that it's different and I'll leave it with that. There you go. That's our music. Indeed, 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 indeed. I'm going to knock off some uh, uh, gay and lesbian cinema over here. 
a combination of some breaking glass stuff and some stuff from TLA, which I won't do in no particular order. Um, uh, this is a Simon Chung film. Love Simon Chung's work. He's actually done some very nice movies. End of Love, Speechless, a couple of neat little movies. This is I, I Miss You When I See You. Uh, basically, it's a high school a love, a rekindled sort of film. A couple of young guys who were very, very close and emotionally attached when they were in high school. Uh, uh, one of them had, is, goes off to Australia. A dozen years goes by. The second one goes to Australia to find his old love and his old friend to see if he can rekindle the thing. Of course, this uh, has complications, but mostly it's just a, a sort of sweet little uh, 20-something love story uh, with a featurette on it, uh, the making of the film with interviews with the cast and whatnot. A Simon Chung film. Simon is a very good little filmmaker. I like his style uh, quite a lot. Uh, and this did very well at the 2018 Outfest Film Festival here in Los Angeles, California. Scaffolding is an Israeli film by uh, Matan Yar, Yar, also a very good filmmaker uh, who makes some very uh, interesting little movies. Um, this one, again, is about a young man uh, who was a bit of a troublemaker in high school. Um, always getting in trouble uh, uh, for one thing or another. Um, uh, he, he sort of goes away and then has to come back home, and his father wants him to come into the family scaffolding uh, business. Uh, uh, and, of course, you know, that's a metaphor for a whole bunch of things uh, that are going on in the film. Again, this is just a nice little movie set in Israel, set in Jerusalem, uh, and the sort of dynamic of a, a young gay Israeli man within the context of all mm -hmm. the things that are going on in the Palestinian territories and having to go into the army and all of that kind of stuff. It's just, you know, it makes for interesting, it makes for interesting yeah. drama in and of itself. Uh, and I rather enjoyed it from Breaking Glass uh, there. Uh, my Best Friend. Uh, again, a interesting film in that it's set in Patagonia. Oh, yeah, okay. Which was like literally Argentina. the end of the planet. Yeah, yeah. in Argentina. That is the southern... By the way, people people don't may not know this because uh, I, I know people who've lived in Patagonia. Yeah. We, I certainly... Uh, yeah, Bea. Bea's yeah, been yeah, in Patagonia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is as far south as you can get in the civilized world. Yeah. Without on 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 a on a continent. Yeah. Without getting to Antarctica. Yeah. Without getting if you, if you go and any further, you're in Antarctica. That's it. You, and they have they have penguins there in yeah. Patagonia. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and it's beautiful. Around. Actually, Patagonia, uh, and uh, blue ice. You know, you know who settled Patagonia? Yeah. The Welsh. Really? Yeah. I didn't well, know that. Half the people in Patagonia, they, they, I mean, gauchos running around speaking Spanish. Yeah, cowboys, yeah. They're, they're, they're Welsh. <gasps> That's amazing. That's amazing. I did not know, did not know that. Anyway, uh, they, 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 they end up uh, going off to Buenos Aires to sort of hang out and do some things and, uh, uh, and uh, sort of realize uh, that uh, they are a little bit more uh, enamored of each other than they had thought before. Interesting little movie, special features, including uh, another short film by Martin uh, Dewis, who directed this film in an interview with director and some of the cast and scenes and some behind-the-scenes music, too. So, My Best Friend from Breaking Glass. And we've got a film set in Beirut. I, I really love some of the exotic locations of these movies um, uh, because you just get the chance to see other worlds. Uh, again, this is an interesting film about these young men who live in this sort of impoverished uh, section of this neighborhood in Beirut uh, and pretty much only have each other, these young men. There's one particular man that comes back to, into the scene who had been gone away for a while, and there is an accident and someone dies. And this forces all of these young men to sort of reevaluate their lives and how they've been sort of drifting and not doing anything uh, and not making commitments either to each other or to other people that they might love. It's a, it's a lovely film. Again, mostly uh, interesting in that it is set in Beirut, uh, and you just get to sort of see and feel and understand the 
another little part of the world there, uh, which I think is sort of interesting. Now we have from a TLA releasing uh, something more of a thriller. So this is like a, a sort of a single white female sort of like thriller. You have these uh, two, two, two guys, they meet. Uh, one of them becomes obsessed with the other and eventually starts to sort of like take on his dynamic, his personality. He gets his hair cut the way he wears. He, gets, he wears his clothes the way he wears his clothes. And eventually you end up in a sort of talented Mr. Ripley sort of situation, uh, which is kind of intense and a little bit of fun. All right. So far as that stuff goes. Another one uh, from TLA is Boys uh, by Christophe Carrier. Uh, again, this is uh, about younger, a couple of younger gay men. Um, uh, well, uh, it's, it begins when one guy is 14 years old. And he meets this guy named Nathan, and they have this little relationship. Uh, eventually, uh, they, they go apart, and they're apart for many, many years, and they come back together, and he has to reevaluate his entire relationship with Nathan mm. over, that, over that period of time from back when he was 14 years old. And, uh, and he's struggling with it because he's starting to think, man, maybe that was an inappropriate relationship. Uh, but at the same time, he's still attracted to that guy right now. And that's in French with English subtitles. Again, these movies are actually pretty interesting in the way that they are sort of thrilling and... and uh, Set in very interesting places. I love the title of that one. Uh, my big gay Italian wedding. <laughs> you know, bite, biting a little bit, maybe. You know, yeah. What the hell? It's okay. Yeah. And it's exactly about that—a big ass gay Italian wedding. Antonio and Paolo—they live in Berlin. They decide to go back to the little village in Italy where Antonio is from, and they have to deal with uh, his parents, uh, his 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 mother, who's very supportive of what's going on, and and Paolo's parents, who he hasn't he hasn't talked to his mother in many many years. And it's funny. It's just a silly, silly, funny little romp of a movie. That's not unlike uh, my big. Gay Greek wedding or whatever yeah. the hell that other movie was called back <laughs> in the day. <laughs> My big fat Greek wedding. Now we have yeah. a doc. We have a doc here um, that's really quite interesting. It's called Kobe, and it's about it's about a young um, a young person who goes through gender transformation. And we are with this young person. Her name is Suzanne. When we meet her. And she begins gender transformation to become a boy named Kobe, and he eventually does. And we watch that entire process. And it's intense. Obviously, there are lots of interviews with, with uh, her or his now family and friends on how they feel about it and, and how she's going through it. We, we, it's, it's really interesting to listen to Suzanne's voice change from when she is Suzanne over the course of the time taking those hormones and eventually becoming you know, a rather handsome young man named Kobe. Um, and I think it speaks to how, in fact, this is – you know, it's, this isn't just an arbitrary sort of thing. If you watch a movie like this, you, you, you begin to understand that some people are just not not born exactly right yeah. uh, in, in, in their situation. Uh, a Moment in the Reeds, a lovely sort of dramatic film uh, uh, set in Paris. Again, you know, this, this film um, uh, mostly is set in Finland, though. He's, it begins in Paris and then goes to Finland. Uh, and it's just a really, it's a really, really lovely movie. A, M a Moment in the Reeds is one of the first queer films made in Finland, which is sort of an amazing thing. And you know, Finland's a funny place, man. Yeah. It it is. Their their movies are odd. And uh, there's a there's a Finnish film that we're going to be uh, covering not this week, but probably next week or the week after, uh, which I love. But man, is it from Mars? Yeah, it's so <laughs> odd. It's just so peculiar. Oh, I can't wait to see that. Funny place. Uh. 
Cola de Mano. Cola de Mano is the name of this film. Now, this is a gay-ass film right here. This film is real gay. <laughs> well, yeah. by, by these standards? By, by, by these standards. Anyway, oh, set, in, set on Christmas in 1986. It's just about this teenage boy who's just beginning to figure out that he's gay. Uh, and he's at, this, he's at this party with his extended family and a bunch of friends, and they're celebrating. And there's a, a lot of alcohol flowing and, uh, and uh, passions and secrets flowing around, and everybody figures out, you know what? I think I might be gay. You got to love that. Uh, Male Shorts International version two. This is a series of shorts. Yeah, we've covered these before. We've covered these before. You know, some of them are good. They, they're, they're, they're generally speaking sort of uneven. Uh, so in order to see the good ones, you have to pick up the other ones. This includes a film called Free Fall, Inter, Sorapsio, Ocaso, and Twice. I haven't seen them all, but the, the Free Fall was actually pretty good. Rather enjoyed that. And Ocasio was a 21-minute film that was very, very good. Uh, so, you know, uh, you can check those out. And then we have the unrated uh, director's cut of Adonis, a film by Scud from Breaking oh, Glass. Oh, Scud. Yeah, yeah, Scud, Scud yeah. back at work over here. Yeah. Scud makes gay-ass films, too, <laughs> uh, because he does what he's actually doing. This, is, this, this one has a narrative, though. Um, uh, it's about a young man who is a performer in the, in the Peking Opera. And uh, by hook or by crook, he sort, of, he sort of comes to find out that there is this sort of world of prostitution that floats around the Peking Opera, and he falls into it. Uh, and he's uh, more or less getting involved with women and men, older men, younger men, younger women, older women. And he sort of just sort of immerses himself into this whole sort of thing. It's actually rather interesting, actually. Uh, special features include an interview uh, uh, with uh, the actors and the director and the making of Adonis. Uh, film is set in Hong Kong and Thailand and Taiwan uh, in Batam. Very interesting stuff. All right, we're going to hit the new movies now. Um, and we've got uh, quite, a, quite a lot of them, actually. And most of them are uh, kind of junk. <laughs> um, but we've got some, we've got some, we have some decent stuff. One that sh- we didn't mention at the top of the show. We'll talk about that and its Oscar chances. Um, but first, I'm going to plow through a whole bunch of, whole bunch of stuff that's kind of junky. So, I mean, you know, junky but fun. You'll, yeah. you'll enjoy this stuff. So, it's all, this is all kind of, these are, you know, January is when January movies get released. And, and theatrically, that means that's the garbage that everybody kind of saved up and they're just dumping it because there's nothing else. It's counter programming to the Oscar, Oscar stuff that's going wide. But on video as well, we get a lot of stuff that just, it, there's no room for it any other time of the year. So it all gets hurled out there. And so here we go. It's not all bad. Mm-hmm. It's a little cheesy, but it's kind of fun. Uh, high voltage. Okay. So high voltage has. And here was, here's what's weird about this. So High Voltage stars um, Luke Wilson and David Arquette and a whole bunch of other people. And they're not really the stars of the thing. But what's weird is they put them on the cover and they look alike. Oh, wow. Don't they? Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Never realized that before. But they've got uh, David Arquette with, uh, with a, a goatee and Luke Wilson fully shaved. But when you look at them together, you go, wow, they both kind of look alike. That's sort of scary and weird. Uh, and the, the idea here is that you've got a... Um, uh, a rock band, and the lead singer, played by uh, Ali Ganino, gets hit by lightning and dies, and then comes back to life. But now she's like got electrical powers <laughs> that she can zap men with. It's very I th- weird. I think that happened in an episode of Flash. It's very yeah. It probably it happens on every episode of the Flash. <laughs> uh, it's you know she's all metahumaned out, and it's it's very weird and kind of silly. But um, it uh, it it makes for some great performances when the band like really rocks out 
like, hey, those are some funky effects, man. So yeah. that's fine. High voltage. It's on Blu-ray. Uh, it's, you know, got a director's commentary that's probably not really worth listening to, to be honest. Uh, and then we got a couple that are basically the same movie here. Uh, the Marine 6, Close Quarters, is the sixth Marine movie. And uh, this is basically a WWE uh, promotional thing. All yeah. they do is the WWE just uses these things to promote them. Is that the, the one where they get the actual Marines to 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 to, to act? And no, they're they're WWE wrestlers. Oh, the WWE wrestlers. They're wrestlers. Okay. Yeah. So you got Mike the Miz, Mizanin, and uh, Shawn Michaels play a couple of Marines who've got to rescue a girl from these uh, from these international criminals. And the 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 baddie who runs the criminals is uh, Becky Lynch, who's also a WWE wrestler. Yeah, so yeah. it's you know it's just like here are our wrestlers and. Yeah. Watch them try to act. It's it is what it is. Uh, American Renegades is a uh, is a seal uh, drama where there's some Nazi treasure at the bottom of a lake and a bunch of <laughs> bunch of seals have to go get it. But then actually saw that one. Everything goes south, right? Yeah. And then they got ten hours to make it happen. It's you know it's, it is what it is. That's, it's guys with guns. That's from the Luke Bisson uh, school of filmmaking. Yeah. Luke is like an EP on that or something. Yeah. If you ever meet Luke Bisson, uh, he'll let you make a movie. Uh, yes, he will. John Travolta just collecting a payday in Speed Kills, Blu-ray, DVD, and uh, uh, what used to be Ultraviolet is basically now Voodoo uh, on it. Uh, so he, this is allegedly based on a true story about a speedboat champion who ran cocaine in his spare time, and mm. suddenly he's caught between mobsters and the government. He's got to make a decision for his family. Mm. Mm. Always Isn't that Ozarks. That's, that's the thing. That's the. Story. It, it is kind of yeah. It's sort of it's sort of in the same vein as Ozark. The mule. Um, shameless movie here, Airstrike. Basically a Chinese movie. Uh, this is one of those big chest-thumping Chinese patriotic movies. The Chinese fighting the Japanese during World War II. And uh, there's a whole spy thing going on where you got to run this uh, th- this decoder through the, you know, to try to get this decoder out of the country. The whole Enigma device kind of a thing, which I don't even know if that's even remotely rooted in truth. That's <laughs> totally fabricated here. But this is all about teaching Chinese aviators to uh, to do a Battle of Britain kind of thing with the Japanese. And they will be trained by Bruce Willis wearing a very ill-fitting Navy uniform that cl- someone pulled out of a chest somewhere, and Bruce, we don't Bruce. have time it's to tailor it. It's insane that right this it, second, he is in an A-list uh, yeah, movie that's yeah, released China. today, uh, a Glass. Oh, Glass, yeah. Glass yeah. released today, you know, yeah. Bruce Willis uh, from, from you know, following yeah. up in, a, in that, yeah. and, but he's also in that. Adrian Brody's also in this, uh, along with What Ye- the hell happened to these people? Uh, you know this what? This is an Academy Award winning. The Chinese throw money at everyone. They get, they must. It's just I, it's I don't even outrageous. know what I'm talking. Matt it's, Damon was in it. was in a friggin' that monster thing with movie. The wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then uh, lastly, we have Final Score. I'm with, talking crap like I wouldn't do one of those movies. I know. Hey, you know, somebody give me give me yeah, enough money like, to. I'd, I'd, I'd write it. I'd direct it. Whatever I, the hell you want me to do. Absolutely. I would act in it. Yeah. I would, uh, I'd, I'd do craft services if you paid me enough. <laughs> so uh, this is with Dave Batista. Also, Pierce Brosnan. Yeah. Pierce Brosnan's just, he's just, ta- James, just James pay- Bond. People are taking paydays. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, this is Taken. That's all it is. It's Dave Batista in a version of Taken. In Taken, it's, you know, uh, Liam Neeson and his daughter. Here it's Dave Batista and his niece. Same story. Exactly. Yeah. It's called Final Score. Not bad, actually. Yeah. Um, it's still taken. It's the same kind of movie, yeah. but but I like Dave Batista. I like him a lot. Yeah. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Runs, so, r- runs around Guard- Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah. Uh, All right, Tim. I'll, I'll start with one of the biggity biggity biggies. Do it. This uh, is the one this week. 4K. Yeah. Uh, uh, first Man. 
Damien Chazelle, we're supposed to be talking about this movie for uh, Academy Awards right now. We're supposed yeah. to be. Yeah. We're supposed to be talking about it. But we're not. Why we're aren't not? we? Yeah, because it's not very good. Um, uh, it's not great. Yeah. It's not an Academy Award. I say See, it's not very good. That's not true. It's a perfectly it's a perfectly adequate film. Yeah. Um, There's nothing wrong with nothing it. wrong with it at all. Performances, interesting, interestingly sort of interpreted material, not not particularly interestingly directed uh, in any way. And the and the, the honest this narrative, this story, the story, which is just a story. You can't yeah. do anything about it. It is what it is. Look, man. Other than the fact that he was the first dude to walk on the moon, this his life is not particularly interesting. See, that's what it is, and I've come to realize this far too late in life about biopics. But the most interesting thing about Neil Armstrong is the thing we already know about him. Yeah, which is he's the first man on the moon. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole thing. He lost his daughter, and he's yeah, stricken by grief, yeah. and 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 they make that a, a really powerful through line, but. That's not enough. There yeah. has to be more to him and his family and the movie and his life than just a climax where he's the first man on the moon and it's shot in IMAX. Yeah, and, and it was tough on his family. No kidding. Going to the moon in 1969. <laughs> yeah. I, I imagine this. All, all of that true. In, and even because a lot of the movie is about uh, – it's reporting to us about the kind of man that he was. Yeah. Sort of stoic and yeah. all this kind of stuff. And this is the kind of man that it takes to go to the moon. Except that standing right next to him is Buzz Aldrin. Yeah. Who's a completely different kind of man. A completely and, different and, kind and of you man. Know, and he movie, also went to the freaking moon. And the funny thing is, uh, you know, Buzz, all, they, they were always good cop, bad cop, right? right? That was always the thing, which is a little bit what you get in the right stuff, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, they needed somebody who could be TV friendly. And I and I kept thinking of this, and, the, and this is part of the problem that I have with First Man. I like the movie. I don't want anybody yeah. to, to, to get yeah, this wrong. I like it. It's gorgeous in 4K. That IMAX moment is great in 4K as well. I mean, they did a, they did a hell of a job mastering this thing. It really is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But you're watching the movie, and you're very aware, very aware of the fact that this is a manufactured product, that somebody had this book by Neil Armstrong's family. They got the family to support it. They thought Damien Chazelle and Ryan Gosling coming right off of La La Land gets it made. The studio throws money at it. Mm -hmm. And Chazelle is not particularly suited to this material. He didn't write it. So he's coming on as a director for hire. Gosling yeah. is doing it because Chazelle is doing it and probably isn't suited necessarily to the part. They both do really good work, but at the end of the day, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, this is trying to position itself alongside Apollo 13 and the right stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm very aware of the fact that that's what it's trying to do. Yeah, and and, and frankly, it's trying to do it in a, day, in a day and age when even at its best, this is a Netflix movie. It's kind of true, you know. Yeah. Uh, at its best, this is a Netflix movie. You yeah. don't, you don't. They all look a lot of interesting stuff. The stuff on the moon, uh, and it, for one thing, he shoots it very claustrophobically. Yeah, big close-ups and shaky. So you know, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't need, I don't need a big old close-up of a yeah. dial reading, you know, forty-five degrees pressure. Yeah, yeah I know. I mean, why do I need that? And, and, and go, so anyway, uh, no. Yeah. Uh, nevertheless, packed full of all kinds of stuff on this. Uh, 4K Ultra HD, uh, just more stuff that you can think of, including deleted scenes and uh, some recreation, uh, recreation of the moon loaded, all, yeah. loaded with all kinds of stuff. But we are not talking about it. Nope. And I imagine some of the special effects and all of that will pop up. But in and, the in the main ca categories, we're not talking about this. And and I was going to say too that good cop bad cop thing that they're playing there was actually better done in the right stuff with Ed Harris playing John Glenn mm -hmm. and Scott Glenn playing Alan Shepard. Mm -hmm. That was the good cop, bad cop thing. And you also had uh, you also had the uh, 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 yeah. uh, Fred Ward, Fred Ward. Pl playing a little bit of a bad cop, too. He's a little bit of a, you know, edgy guy playing Gus Grissom. He plays Gus, yeah. And, and, uh, and Gus Grissom's part of this, too, too uh, isn't yeah. he? They got, yeah, yeah, I think yeah, Gus yeah. is in this, too. So, 
you know, yeah, I mean, I like it, but gosh, I wanted it to be better. Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Everybody wanted it to be better, and it should have been better. Yeah. Should have been better. Anyway, uh, Johnny English strikes again. Rowan Atkinson as Johnny English, the goofy British spy, the British MI6 answer to uh, Maxwell Smart. Um, look, the first Johnny English film was fine. The second one was really bad, and I love Rowan Atkinson. Yeah. I live for Rowan Atkinson and Blackadder and Mr. Bean. I, I could just watch that forever. Uh, this might be the best of the series, and mm. I wasn't expecting anything out of this. Now, mm. it's silly. It's a ridiculous plot. It basically is an excuse to get Rowan Atkinson into a whole bunch of slapsticky situations where he can do a Mr. Bean shtick, where he yeah. can just go, <laughs> make those noises and do something really ridiculous and incompetent and goofy, and then something lights on fire, and you know, then something rolls across the floor and something else lights on fire. You know, that's, yeah. the, that's his thing. That's his shtick. So um, if you're okay with that, you'll have fun with it. Now, what I really like about it, though, is what the plot does, which is the plot is that the, the, all the identities of spies, British spies, have been exposed because of a social media leak. So we have to get the only one that's not who was not entered into social media, who's long retired, right? Mm. Who isn't in the on the grid, and that's of course Johnny English. And he doesn't like any. He throws the cell phone out the window. We don't need digital age stuff. And it's true. He's purely analog. Yeah. And he's fighting basically a combination of Apple and Google and Facebook. That's what he's fighting. He's fighting this social media digital behemoth that's going to take over the world and take over England and hold the whole world hostage because they can run the world better. It really, really pokes it at, at Google. I yeah. mean, in a horrible way. Oh, yeah. And uh, I kind of enjoyed that. Yeah. I was I was glad that they made that a target, and, uh, and I had fun with it. It's dumb. It's not perfect. But you know what? It's the best that Johnny English has been. It takes down a Jeffrey Zuckerberg-Bergian yeah, character yeah. quite nicely. And, and it's got extras, too. You know, it's it's got uh, mostly featurette stuff, and then uh, David Kerr, the uh, the director, does a commentary. It's fun. And I have Best of Best Fiends, Best Friends, Fiends, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Of course, Tommy Wiseau and Greg Siestro uh, created the film The Room, which inspired the film The Disaster Artist, uh, which, you know, got James Franco and, uh, and, and his brother and Tommy Wiseau again. Uh, yeah, great so deal, we, a great deal. So weird this, that this, this happened. This is a, a weird little loop there. But this weird, it's like two films yeah. done back to back. Or, they, or they, one film that they split into two because they didn't want to edit it down. Yeah. yeah. It feels they like. Make and basically, it's a, it's, it's, a film, it's a film in which they are playing these characters. Yeah. Wiseau was playing this more uh, and uh, and uh, it, and they they come up with this completely wacky caper uh, that has to do with stealing gold out of the mouths of dead people and all kinds of wacky stuff. You know what? The only the most what's most interesting about this film is that Tommy Wiseau is no better an actor now than he was in two thousand and three when he was in the room. Um, uh, he's still terrible. Greg, uh, you know, he's still making his making his bones off hanging around with Tommy. And I guess I can't be mad at them. They, they squoze two movies out of it. Nevertheless, both of them have some both of them have some special features, deleted scenes, and uh, commentary with uh, with the producer and, uh, and and Tommy and Greg on both of it. So you know, if you're into that whole uh, little world there, I suppose these are must see. I I was good. I was good after the disaster artist. I was I let the whole damn thing go after that. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, let me hit a, a couple here real quickly. Little Italy. So uh, Don Petrie of the Petrie family. Um, it's a big Petrie dish of directors yeah, in that family. Yeah, go, go way um, back. 
They anyway, he he used to do things like Miss Congeniality that you know were big stu- sort of studio um, romantic comedy hits, and now he does things like Little Italy, which goes straight to to DVD and Blu-ray. Uh, this is kind of a you know I don't want to say anything anything really terrible about it. It's got uh, Emma Roberts and Hayden Christensen. Where did they go? Uh, who were once a thing for a moment, and now they make the movies like this. Um, so their childhood, they grew up together, their childhood friends, and now they've. Uh, They've, you know, got a got a thing going as adults, but their parents have feuding pizzerias. Yeah, what are you gonna do? Comedy writes itself. Romeo and Juliet, anything? I know it's 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 silly. Uh, but Danny Aiello's in it, and uh, he's aged, man. He's mm. really aged. Yeah, he's well, Dan- Danny Aiello was pretty damn old. 30, 40 years, thirty years Dan- ago, he was in Do the Right Thing. And you know what, Dan- Danny Aiello, you only hear his voice in uh, God. Is it Godfather Two or Godfather One? Which is uh, it? I think it's the first one. It's the first one yeah. where, where where the guy gets garroted and you hear his voice off screen and he goes like this is from Michael Corleone and he takes yeah. him out with him. yeah yeah anyway that was that was his kind of his sort of breakthrough that moment he yeah. got to be yeah. uh, off screen guy in The Godfather he was a stunt guy for years Danny Aiello he drove a truck drove until trucks, he was yeah. in his forties yeah yeah just goes to show you can pull that you can pull that ripcord anytime you, you want sure can and then uh, the car Road to Revenge this is an unrated sequel to the movie that came out when I was a kid. Boy, that took a long time. The car, which is about this, you know, this souped-up Lincoln Continental that's the car from hell. It's, like, demonic, and at the end, you see the face of the devil in the flames after it goes over the edge. Uh, it's a ridiculous movie. The car is absolutely stupid, but I have friends who love it. Anyway, uh, so they, they went and they resurrected the car for this straight-to-DVD uh, sequel, uh, you know, 42 years later, and I really don't really understand it. The only thing that c- connects it is that Ronnie Cox is back. Ronnie Cox played uh, the mechanic Ronnie in the Cox. first one, and now he's back in this one. And it's absolutely silly. But anyway, um, so the, the car is, you know, basically on a, on a, a, a path of vengeance. It's a murderous mm. car. I forget it. It's just, it's silly. But anyway, if you like the first one, the car, Road to Revenge, it's out Love now. me some Ronnie Cox. Vision question. He's even in oh, a couple. Yeah. Of, he's, in a, he's, in, he's in, I think he's in all of those Beverly Hill Cops movies. At least two of them, anyway. Yeah. Uh, 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 we have Who We Are Now. Um, a film with a great cast, I must say, um, uh, if, 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 if nothing else. Uh, Juliana Nicholson, Leah Thompson, Zachary Quinto, Jimmy Smits, Emma Roberts, Jason Biggs, Jess Wexler, all in this little movie. Uh, basically about a young woman uh, who, after 10 years in prison, is released and wants to go and reclaim her child who has been adopted, or at least uh, custody has been given to uh, her sister. Uh, Jimmy Smits plays her defense attorney, uh, who has a little team of young lawyers, and one of the young lawyers, uh, Emma Ro- played by Emma Roberts, uh, decides to take take up uh, with Juliana Nicholson's character and help her get her son back. You know, to to, to interesting consequences. Uh, you know, a, a very powerful, moving little drama that would have been much more of a movie, much more of a thing, uh, some I don't know, ten or fifteen years ago, with a cast like this. Uh, but it's a neat little movie, nonetheless. Uh, no special features to speak of on who we are now, oh, yeah, which is a bit of a bummer. Ansel uh, Elgort, who sort of came on the scene a couple of years ago, and of course mm-hmm. had Baby Driver since then, yeah. and a few of those. I think he's in the Divergent series. He might have been yeah. in two of those series. So uh, in this movie, uh, Jonathan, 
interesting sort of dynamic. He's just one guy that has these two personalities inside of him, ostensibly brothers uh, inside one body. Uh, one of them is a, sort of a fighting, uh, cra- not crazed, but uh, aggressive, uh, badass kind of guy. And the other one's more of a thinking, uh, uh, delicate, and, uh, and uh, intuitive sort of guy. They both fall in love with the same girl. Uh, the two brothers inside the one man. Interesting a sort of premise there. Doesn't really hold up all that well as a movie all the way through, but I do like the premise quite a lot. Uh, not a whole lot on uh, this DVD in terms of special features. Um, I like what they call it, a hybrid of Fight Club and Charlie Kaufman. <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. that's a brain tweezer. That's interesting. Yeah. That's a brain tweezer. Yeah. Uh, so we've also got a little indie here, Till Death Do Us Part, which is the kind of movie that used to be... Uh, uh, you know, uh, indecent proposal, and there were a lot of you know uh, fatal attraction, all of those kind of Adrian Liney things. This has sort of an Adrian Line vibe to it. Um, basically, Stephen Bishop is uh, and Annie Ilonza, Ilonza, how do you pronounce her name? You know mm, that Ilonza. Uh, Annie Ilonza. So Stephen Bishop, Annie Ilonza, they get married, and uh, she thinks he's the greatest guy, and then he turns into a monster. Like as soon as they're married, she fakes her death, but can't get away from him. And uh, Tay Diggs shows up because he's Tay Diggs, and he's yeah. got to be there. Is yeah. like. The dude, yeah, but uh, it's I like fun. that movie. The first time they made it with Julia Roberts sleeping with the enemy. Yeah, it you know it's it's one of those. And then exactly. they made it again with Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, and they, made it, they you know they make that movie about every they, five, they eight, do. Eight, eight or nine years. They do, and uh, not without my daughter is yeah, another one. Sal- another one Sally yeah. Field yeah. and uh, yeah. Alfred Molina yeah. is her you know crazed. Persian husband, they go back to Iran after the revolution, and he's all in with the mullahs. Yeah. And you know, anyway, it's that movie done all over again. Uh, and then we also have MDMA, which is kind of lame, but I'm sort of forgiving of it because I think Annie Q does a does a really good job in it. Francesca Eastwood is also in it. Um, so uh, MDMA is about a girl played by Annie Q who uh, comes from a very very you know she's being raised by her dad. Very very you know he's a he's a, he's an Asian immigrant, very strict kind of Asian immigrant upbringing, but she wants to be a wild and crazy American girl, goes to college, um, and she's in the lab. She realizes that she can make ecstasy during her chemistry class. So <laughs> she starts basically dealing uh, ecstasy, which is known as MDMA, mm-hmm. and uh, it winds up, you know, causing all kinds of havoc in her life, and uh, it becomes a cautionary tale. Basically, you know, it's, a, it's an arty exploitation film is what it is. Um, it, it's not great, Um Angie Wong wrote and directed the film. Does an okay job. It's it's a little precious. It's a little full of itself. But I really like the lead performance by Anna Q, and I look forward to seeing her in something else. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, James Franco had a little run there when he was just doing everything, everything, everything uh, before he ran into some problems with some of the other things he was doing, including uh, including uh, directing uh, just, just about everything he could think of. Now, yeah. e- occasionally he would pull something out that I thought w- w- was interesting simply because of the source material. So uh, this is The Sound and the Fury. Uh, Faulkner, of course, uh-huh. and and I got to tell you that this is 2014. He made this movie. I remember talking about it on the radio. Um, and uh, you know, it's 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 one of those stories about this family in the deep south and uh, at the turn of the last century. Uh, and the family is sort of unraveling, and the son comes home, and then dark secrets come out about all kinds of things. It's Faulkner. You yeah. Know? Uh, and I, I, the, the thing that impressed me is that a he, he he's adapting Faulkner. Nobody even reads Faulkner anymore. You know, they, 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 unless it's true. Yeah, I, it's, I, it's, I don't know. I, everyone knows Faulkner, but no one reads him. Nobody yeah. reads. So so yeah, I was that impressed me. The film is the film is okay. Best thing in the film is an actor named Scott Hayes, who's really playing the lead. Frankel shows up in the film, but he doesn't play the lead in the film. 
Uh, and you know, Seth Rogen shows up, and that Danny McBride, Tim Blake Nelson, the whole little team of guys who do that business there. And it's a perfectly decent, well-made sort of sort of uh, adaptation of Faulkner, uh, in no particular way special, but that it is an adaptation of Faulkner. Got uh, got four genre titles here. They're all probably worth a look. They're all relatively well done. Uh, the book Break My Heart 1,000 Times, which I've never heard of. I'm going to guess that it's some kind of a young adult thing, uh, has been adapted into I Still See You, which obviously is meant to evoke mm. uh, the sixth sense a little bit. Uh, and uh, Bella Thorne stars. This takes place, it's kind of a post-apocalyptic thing where... Uh, the after the the apocalypse, the Earth is now haunted by a lot of ghosts, kind of mm. like Omega Man meets Poltergeist. I guess mm. is maybe the best way to do it. Anyway, uh, and Bella Thorne is is quite good. Um, I'd like to see her do you know a better script, but she's uh, she's kind of trapped between you know the between worlds the. The, the the ghost world and the and the the world of the living and um, you know it's uh, it's one of the it's kind of a young adult thrillery thing it's all right mm-hmm. it's not great not terrible uh, beyond the sky with Ryan Carnes Jordan Henson Peter Stormare and D Wallace the only people there you've ever heard of are D Wallace and Peter Stormare yeah. And Peter Stormare just plays weird people with accents now. And yeah, D. Man, Wallace. He, he had a little moment there, though, when he was, you know. Well, after Fargo. Yeah. 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 The wood chipper moment. Uh, but he just plays weird guys with accents now. That's all he does. Uh, anyway, this is, uh, you know, D. Wallace, of course, from E.T. Uh, that was her, her, her big moment. And yeah. she's been riding on it for the last 35, 40 years, whatever it's been. Uh, and this is an alien abduction movie, and uh, that's pretty much all it is. And it's relatively fine for it, you know, the idea being that it's like every seven years they, they, they come back to do their little abduction dance, and it's, it is what it is. And then Await Further Instructions by Johnny Kevorkian. Uh, not to make fun of your name, but if I were a director, I'm not sure I'd keep that name. There's a guy who kind of ruined the Kevorkian name for mm. other people. Uh, but maybe if you're making genre movies, it's not so bad. Maybe yeah. it's like Marilyn Manson. Maybe it maybe it plays to yeah, your advantage. Like People they, remember it. They hear it. They hear it, and they just let's go see what that guy's doing. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, so this is uh, this is one of those Christmas genre movies uh, where this uh, family wakes up and there's disgusting goo all around their house on Christmas Day. And what's going on? What is this? And uh, you know, it it uh, winds up being a uh, like a like a um, sort of a, a, a Cloverfield kind of a scenario mm. uh, where all of the media gives them no information. It just says, await further instructions. And you're like, what's yeah. going on? What's going on? So uh, and it, and it, it goes in a very weird kind of a, um, a David Cronenberg direction. Uh, it's not a David Cronenberg film. It's not as good as a David Cronenberg film, but... It certainly aspires to go there, and it's got some interesting stuff going on. Uh, so you know, um, I, I guess I guess I'm gonna guardedly recommend it. Await further instructions. It's for that kind of a you know, it's more original than most. So mm. I'll say that. The Oath uh, was an interesting little film uh, when it came out, starring Ike Barinholtz and Tiffany Haddish. Um, and it, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a dark comedy uh, that, that, that kind of goes sideways, but more or less saves itself at the end. The notion is death. This is sort of right-wing government that's in power. Wow. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and they suggest that, uh, that, that, that folks might want to take an oath. Take an oath oh, dear. Uh, of, of allegiance to the United States. Now, this is the interesting thing about the film. This is a suggestion 
that this sort of right-wing government makes. It's not an edict. It's not a thing where everybody has to yeah. take the oath. It's just one of these things where, you know, you probably want to take the oath. You should take the oath. And Ike Barinholtz, who's married to Tiffany Haddish, Ike, as you know, is white and Tiffany is black. And Ike is like this white liberal dude who's just not going to take this oath. He's not going to do it. And and for a while there, all of his mm-hmm. friends are right with me. We're not going to take this. We're not going to. And one by one, they fall off and they they take the oath. They take the oath. And, and, it's, and, it's an, and he's just going bananas and every his family comes to the, the Thanksgiving and his father is taking the oath and his brother is taking the oath. And it's really sort of interesting uh, how this drives him crazy and, 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 and where, where, what it pushes him to do and who it pushes him to become. Mm. The liberal guy. Yeah, becomes becomes the flaming asshole. Yeah, and I think that that was what was sort of interesting about the movie. Is it may it would have been easy to make the liberal guy the hero, you know, and make and make all the sort of you know people willing to take the oath uh, the butt of the joke. It goes a little bit. John chose in the movie. It goes a little bit off the rails at the end. Gets really really darkly violent, but it is funny occasionally. Ike Barinholtz is directing. Uh, behind the scenes stuff includes deleted scenes and uh, a couple of featurettes and this, that, and the other thing. Not, not a bad little uh, directing debut for Ike Barinholtz. Cleverly done. Val Kilmer uh, is the super. Um, uh, Val Kilmer, man. Val, not to man. be confused with the Joe Pesci movie, The Super. No, he, yeah, no, mm-hmm. okay. don't, don't do that. All right. Uh, yeah. So anyway, in this particular one, he's playing uh, an ex-cop. Uh, and uh, you live in this building, and, 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 and people are going missing uh, inside yeah. this building, big old, big old scary building, you know, uh, one of those. And you know he's an ex-cop, sure. So he's going, I, mean, I can figure out who's, who's who's killing folks in this building. Anyway, um, it, it's one of those movies, not particularly good, uh, but you know Val Kilmer's roaming around in it. So what you going to do? Um, now this is an interesting movie to me, a happening of monumental proportions. This is this big old yeah. cast of a movie. Common is in this movie. Bradley Whitford. Common's in everything, dude. Common's in everything Every nowadays. commercial, every uh, TV yeah. show. His agent is His voice working overtime. is the voice of IBM uh, right now. Yeah. Uh, good people for him. Keanu Reeves shows up in this movie. Allison Janney, Jennifer Garner. Now, why is that? Why are all of these people in this movie that none of you have ever heard of? <laughs> this is why. This movie, which is a comedy uh, about a career day at a high school uh, where the uh, various different folks, teachers and principals and blah, 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 uh, at the high school find a dead bar- body. They find the body of the caretaker at the high school and they have to sort of hide uh, the fact that there's this dead guy at the high school and to figure out who did it and all that kind of stuff while all the kids in career day is going on around them. You know, a big, crazy, stupid, yeah. funny movie. Uh, yet, you'd never heard of it. And this is why. Uh, uh, because it's really not all that good. <laughs> and despite the fact that it has all of these sort of names and quasi-names in it, that didn't save it. Mm-hmm. That will not save you folks if the movie isn't very good. You can get Common and all of these people and Alice and Janney, and they're all funny people walking, roaming around doing what they do, but it doesn't make any difference. The movie, nope. isn't, the movie isn't good. The movie's directed by, though, the wonderful Judy Greer. Believe me, I promise you, you know Judy Greer. Go look her up. Gorgeous redhead with big, wonderful eyes. Been acting in movies for, I don't know, ever since we got, got here. Bridget used to go out and, and on oh, yeah. with, with Judy Greer all the time. Uh, and, and she's just wonderful. Judy Greer is the woman that, that you watched movies all through the like uh, early 90s, opposite Julia Roberts and opposite Cameron Diaz and opposite. She always played their girlfriend or maybe their roommate or maybe uh, yeah, something. And you always thought to yourself, man, I wish that chick was the star of this movie. She is fantastic. <laughs> it's Judy Greer. She's, she's been that person for her entire career. Anyway, she, she wrangled herself a, a, a debut a directing gig. The movie's okay, but it's not great. And most importantly, remember this: a bunch of uh, a bunch of a bunch of name actors will not save you if the movie is not that good.
And on DVD, not Blu-ray, which we thought we might talk about at Oscar time, but apparently not, is a movie that also has common in it. How does he find the time? Uh, it's here and now with uh, Sarah Jessica Parker and Simon Baker and then a bunch of other people, including Renee Zellweger, Jacqueline Bissett, and Common. Uh, and another movie with a lot of people in it who, why are they in this movie? Uh, it's, you know, it just doesn't click, man. It, it's, uh, it stars Sarah Jessica Parker. This is what I call as, uh, this is kind of like a, it's a wonderful life slash Christmas Carol, uh, done on a peanut. Mm. So you can't afford to have somebody kind of reevaluate their life courtesy of an angel or ghosts mm. or something supernatural or in a really interesting way. So you have a movie about somebody who is in a particular situation where they are perhaps a little full of themselves. She's a successful singer, and then something happens. Boom. And, oh, my. And now I have to look back and reevaluate my choices and make a left turn or a right mm. turn going forward, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, Simon Baker plays the ex-husband, and um, uh, Common plays her manager, and Jacqueline Bissett plays her mom. And, you know, it's like kind of an existential journey in a not very interesting way. But Sarah Jessica Parker is endearing, but I don't buy her as a singer. Yeah, that happens. That happens. That happens. Yeah. Time freak. Uh, I like Asa Butterfield. I like Sophie Turner. Yeah. Uh, uh, a couple of young actors. They said, you know, from Ender's Game and all that kind of stuff. Time Freak is a movie uh, that's basically about a fella. Uh, he's a brilliant, he's a brilliant uh, engineer and physicist. Uh, he has this gorgeous girlfriend. She dumps his ass. Uh. What does he do? He decides to build a time machine, mm -hmm. uh, go back, uh, do everything uh, again, try to get it right, and make sure that she does not dump his ass again. Of course, uh, when you build a time machine and you go back to fix something that sure. you screwed up the first time, that's not going to work. Uh, <laughs> that never works. But they tried it in this movie anyway. I do like the tagline, live, love, regret, repeat. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's good. That, that's clever tagline. That that's clever tagline. Yeah. Way to go, kids. That's great. Uh, but the movie, no. Elizabeth Harvest. Uh, this, I want a film by Sebastian Gutierrez um, uh, with Siren Hines and Carla Gugano and, and Matthew Beard, Nabby Lee. And basically, it's about this woman who marries this guy, and, uh, and, and uh, he's rich and, and a powerful scientist, and, and he takes her off to this real beautiful modernist estate where Carla is like the maid. And it's all kind of creepy. Uh, and and uh, to be honest, it's really just Rebecca. Yeah. This is Rebecca, a sort of gothic and all that kind of sure. Rebecca. There's a room that she can't go into, and and, and you know, it's just Rebecca. And, <laughs> and, I, and I keep thinking to myself, do they know this is Rebecca? Because I don't think that they do. I don't think that they do. No, it's in this day and sometimes. age, everything is is uh, so many levels removed from those <laughs> yeah. original movies that they're they they are riffing on something that was riffing on something that riffed on some, Rebecca. It was riffed on Rebecca. Yeah. it's really sort of funny. Yeah. Uh, so there's that. All right, uh, let's do some TV. And uh, I'll go through uh, a few things, a couple things here, and uh, Tim will hit up a couple, and then we'll wrap the show out. Um, the first is the boxed set from BBC of Robin Hood, the complete series, which is, you know, a perfectly adequate, serviceable uh, Robin Hood telling. Um, if you haven't seen it, it's fine. Uh, it's not really the Robin Hood, you know, it's a, it's just another version of Robin Hood. It's better than the recent movie by far. The last few Robin Hood movies have been a disaster. The Russell Crowe thing where he's just way too old to be playing Robin a, a, I mean, look, not to get off the subject, but when Russell Crowe was playing Robin Hood, who was not yet Robin Hood, he was as old as when Sean Connery mm -hmm. played the too old Robin Hood mm -hmm. in Robin and Marion. It was a problem. But he was playing a Robin Hood who was supposed to be like 20. 
Yeah. You know, and that play movie, the old Robin Hood if you want, but don't play 20-year-old Robin Hood, Russell. That's, that's insane. And that movie was a complete bastardization oh, yeah. of the original script, which was all supposed to be from the point of view of the Sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah. Which yeah, would have been but, interesting. When Russell, be, Russell should have played the Sheriff. Yeah. Yeah, never mind. Anyway, Jonas Armstrong uh, here is uh, is Robin Hood, and, uh, you know, it's it's updated, and it, it focuses a bit on the Crusades, and... It gets into some areas that Robin Hood movies typically don't dwell on too much, but but ultimately it's uh, you know not brilliant. It's just it's adequate. Mm. Uh, we also have on Blu-ray, amazing the Blu-ray debut of the Shield, the complete series. I'm going to tell you right now when this debuted on FX, I didn't think it was a very uh, interestingly shot show. FX broadcast it looking very grimy, very grungy. It had mm. a certain kind of um, digital camera look to it, desaturated digital camera look that I didn't particularly like. I got what they were going for. I got that they wanted to have a real urgent new. You know what? On Blu-ray, I get how they shot it originally. It was FX's broadcast quality that didn't do it for me originally. This ah. is the, this is the Shield with a very different tone than a very different look than what you may have gotten originally mm -hmm. on on FX. So I'm going to really highly recommend this. This is a sharp show. It's a gritty show. It pushed the envelope for uh, original cable shows at the time, went into directions that nobody had gone in. Cable shows were following, kind of following the lead of the networks at the time, didn't realize that being basic cable meant you had a lot more latitude under the FCC. And uh, The Shield pushed that envelope. It really went into some interesting areas and in many respects paved the way for the premium cable model of today. Uh, really a, a great original show. Michael Chiklis just kills it. Uh, it's kind of the, one of the first great anti-heroes on mm. television. Uh, you know, this was this was when dark, bad, when, you know, a character struggling against his dark side was interesting long before Dexter or any of the yeah. others. That and we're interesting that he was coming off of several years as the cuddly uh, yeah, Tish. Yeah, that's right. Uh, to play that role. He, 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 totally he, opposite. He, he shaved his head and beefed up. Cause remember he totally pumped up. opposite. Uh, and then just went the other yeah. way with that. So, so uh, you got to love that. The Shield on Blu-ray is uh, to be highly, highly recommended. And uh, that comes from Mill Creek. And uh, I just can't say enough about it. Tons of extra features here. More than 10 hours of featurettes. And there are commentaries on certain episodes. And uh, there's even footage of a cast reunion with the creator, Sean Ryan, in 2018. It's absolutely terrific. Mm. Really good. Good stuff, good stuff. Uh, Castle Rock. Castle Rock, of course, is the fictional town which uh, lies behind all of Stephen, most of Stephen King's uh, uh, fictional works, uh, yeah. uh, many of which are literally set in the town. This is set in the town of Castle Rock. It's a new work of fiction by King in association with J.J. Abrams. Um, it's a very, it was a very stark and engaging uh, uh, sort of series uh, that I watched. And, and, and if you're a fan of King's work, I, I bought my wife every single hardback of Stephen King's uh, books from like probably the late seventies. I remember that. You're still all so yeah. every single one of them. Every when they would come out, I would buy. Tell you, you want you want to get a chick's heart? <laughs> buy her a book by an author she really likes, <laughs> and that chick will dig you forever. Um, this, if you do know that canon. This brushes up against several works within that long historical canon, yeah. uh, and, uh, and so when you're watching it and you and you know that that reference or that moment or that thing, uh, that visual moment in the film is is is, is related to the Dark Tower or to uh, it or yeah. to the Shining or something like that, it's it's extremely satisfying. Less so, I probably I think for people who are not familiar with the panel of Stephen King. So you know what what, what do you got to do? You got to read all that Stephen yeah. King before you can enjoy this. No, you can enjoy this anyway. Sure. But if you know the King, you're gonna enjoy this a lot more 
Uh, the Purge is season one, which is more or less the Purge. You know, yeah. it's just in the context of the television series, it was one night a year, people would go out and wreak havoc and murder. What they do is, with this is just try to crank it up to 11. Yeah. That's all they're doing, cranking it yeah. up to 11. Uh, and I'm not sure that I need to see this. <laughs> Stephen Colbert, uh, executive producers, uh, our cartoon uh, president. This is season one. Uh, and, you know, here's, uh, you, I would have thought uh, you know, I'm the sort of right person to enjoy something like this. Yeah. But, you know, occasionally funny. But the thing of it is, the actual thing is way funnier. <laughs> yeah, just turn on CNN. There it's way is, funnier. There is a problem we have right now, which is that the 24 news hour cycle, the 24 hour news cycle, is uh, is more dramatic and unpredictable and entertaining than yeah. uh, than actual movies and television, and uh, that competition is hurting a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, every night, every night, there's going to be there's way more entertainment already on the news. Yeah, than, than you're going to get over. You know. And every, and the news channels all exploit it. Every one of them, they they play it up. You yeah. know, every single one. All right, that's it, folks. Uh, Oscar nominations will be coming out. Literally, the, they, they will have already come out by the time most of you are listening to this. Uh, I'm going to see if we can post this a little bit beforehand, get, get, a, get a lead on the week. But um, otherwise, the next show, we will be talking about Oscar nominations and uh, maybe making a little forecast and talking about surprises and snubs. We'll see you then. Yeah.